Anandita, welcome to the ethics scenario. Um, so this is regarding consent process for uh, a Jehovah's Witness for an angiogram. Okay, great. So this your station uh, scenario is a 62-year-old patient who's also Jehovah's Witness has attended for an elective angiogram where the IMT doctor in this rotation have come to consent the patient for the procedure. Part of the consent form includes a section that reports that in the event of a significant bleed, um, would the patient consent to a blood transfusion? Um, and um, so how would you address this situation? So I think in this there's several different ethical principles that could be applied. But in the first instance, it's important to acknowledge that consent is an important medical legal process uh, and a consent form, much like any other documentation in the hospital, is medical legal, um, is a binding medical legal form. Um, the GMT suggests or recommends actually that uh, only uh, professionals who are trained in the procedure and aware of the risks and, and competent uh, to deliver the procedure safely uh, actually are actually involved in the and leading the consenting process for patients. So I think given that IMTs don't typically consent uh, independently for angiograms, I'd want to seek the support of my registrar in the first instance um, to actually carry out the consent process. But of course, I would be very happy to, as a member of the team, discuss any concerns the patient might have about uh, the you know the procedure overall. Being a, for example, a doctor on a cardiology unit. So I think after you know highlighting this to my registrar early on before the consenting process even began, and uh, after making sure it was appropriate that. I approach this patient um, to discuss their concerns about it. I'd want to, you know, first, I guess, with any uh, kind of any consenting process, try and understand and establish what the patient understands about the procedure um, and then tailor my explanation and go on to explain what the, the risks of the procedure. It's, it's clear that at this point, I have to make sure the patient understands that bleeding is a significant risk of the procedure. And I think it would be prudent also at this point to explain why bleeding is a significant risk of the procedure, um, both in terms of you know, vascular access, but also bleeding with, uh, due to a complication within the heart and a uh, complication during sort of the entirety of the procedure beyond the point of initial access as well, um, including things like tamponade, just so that the patient truly understands the gravity of the bleeding that could occur, even though this is an elective angiogram. I think it's also important to note that, you know, given that it's an elective scenario, it's not a patient who's come in unwell or, you know, um, uh, critically need of an angiogram uh, for an urgent life-saving procedure. We have the liberty to uh, consult other um, professionals as well, and also to take the time to ask the patient if they have any questions, or if they have any particular concerns they need to be addressed. Given that they're a Jehovah's Witness, um, even though, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, can refuse blood products obviously we shouldn't presume that all uh, all members of this group are the same and obviously each individual may have their own um their own interpretation and their own personal beliefs about their, their health which may not fit into a particular stereotype and it's really important that we don't have those biases when approaching a patient for any type of procedure in the hospital so i think it would be important in the first instance to establish you know, would they be amenable to having blood products uh, administered and if they said no then i guess we then triage the kind of different actions that we can take to try and help them um, I know that many trusts will have often uh, support systems for this, including uh, more experienced members of staff with Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, such as a Jehovah's Witness advocate, uh, and the contact details for this may be available on the trust intranet or from a senior professional, so we could contact them in the first instance to offer the patient more support. Um, 
I think, you know, it's important to approach this in a non-judgmental way and, and respect the patient's autonomy. So that's one of the key ethical principles here. They may not want to accept blood products because of their faith, but also it's really important to have informed consent. And I think that's another key, key kind of uh, good medical practice principle here. And that's why it's important to highlight the different risks of the procedure and the gravity of these and what would happen if we didn't give blood, um, which could be, you know, major, major hemorrhage or hypovolemic shock, et cetera, uh, which may make the procedure actually too risky to proceed with. Now that obviously the risk benefit ratio there, which is important to any consenting procedure is something that wouldn't be led by myself, but I think it's important that as a member of the team, I made the patient aware of this, but that in conjunction with the registrar and who may be performing the procedure, and obviously the consultant who's in ultimately responsible, I think I would then, um, you know, uh, flag this up, flag this issue up with the member, both members of the team um, and uh, try and see how we could approach it further and whether actually it would be safe uh, to proceed with this, you know, elective angiogram uh, in potentially a high-risk patient, depending on their individual circumstances, if we're not allowed to give blood or if the patient's not amenable to receiving blood products. Um, I think that's where the ethical principle of non-maleficence comes in. We don't want to do a procedure that's too risky, given the uh, you know the constraints we have for the, with the patient's autonomy and personal wishes. Um, and this could be obviously dealt with on a case-by-case basis. I think crucially also it would be important in terms of informed consent for me to explain not only the risks but also the other options that are available to the patient um and to explain that blood products can include you know plasma and platelets and red cells etc and they may be you know opposed to some products and not to others depending on their personal beliefs and their personal understanding um and it would also be important to explain to them that things like recombinant products are for example available uh, and procedures such as cell salvage, et cetera. And obviously, because you know, I may not be an expert in these areas, but I should offer point them to the correct resources. And often the trust will have pamphlets and uh, additional people that can discuss these things with the patient. And finally, again, back to the point where it was a medical legal process, um, I think it'd be important to make sure that the whatever decision the patient came to in the end was appropriately recorded in the patient notes, along with the discussion we had and all the nuances of the risks and the benefits discussed, as well as any other additional support I may have offered them. Um, and I think, you know, depending on the local policy, obviously, if there is a specific form, for example, which I know many trusts have to flag up that this patient uh, does not wish to receive blood products, and it would be very important to make sure that was highlighted um, and not just, you know, filed away in the notes, but obviously brought up at all of the safety briefs and all the handovers for the procedure list that day. Excellent. Thank you. So clearly this, you know, this situation shouldn't have happened. Um, do you have any sort of um, methods of escalating this further? Yeah, so I guess, I mean, if this is a, you know, not a common situation, perhaps, but obviously a very important one is uh, both consenting and blood transfusions are both um, quite important parts of medical practice. And, uh, you know, that could lead to serious incidents, if, if not done correctly, if the pr correct procedures are not followed. I think it's important, uh, it would be really important to try and feedback to whoever does the training for IMT doctors in these jobs um, to explain that, you know, that you shouldn't, they shouldn't feel uh, that they need to consent for procedures that they're not trained to do, but that they should always seek the support of senior staff members when asked to help with consenting and make sure they're supported in a way um, that they can perhaps have the discussions with patients, but obviously the final consent is probably done by uh, someone who's trained in the procedure and is kind of uh, in good medical practice um, recommended as the person seeking consent. I think it's also important if this is an issue that kind of comes up frequently in this particular um, hospital or depending on you know the catchment area, et cetera, I think it may be prudent also to you know, include that in the training for the SHOs and the IMTs and saying that this is a situation which can arise and these signpost them to the correct protocols and the correct um the correct forms because obviously sometimes you know this 
even though this is elective, it could also happen in an emergency. And in those emergencies, it's useful to know uh, where those forms and doc correct documentation is as well to make sure that all the protocols are followed despite clinical pressures. Excellent answer. Thank you very much.